part of what we went through to get to the place that we are was a bunch of struggle and disagreeing and hearing each other out and being like, oh, wait, that is a valid concern. What do we need to do? How can we address that? How can we take care of that? That then allowed for something really powerful and brilliant to emerge. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Emergent Strategy podcast hosted by the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. We are a collective of facilitators, mediators, trainers, and curious human beings interested in how we get in right relationship with change. Today, I'll be guiding our interview. I'm Adrian, a teacher, facilitator, and mediator and writer with Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. And as a reminder, emergent strategy is the way we generate and reshape complex systems and patterns with relatively simple interactions. And I'm super, super excited about today's guests. These are two people that I deeply look up to and love and learn alongside of. Um, and our guests today are Jennifer Tolls and Jonathan Stith. And you may hear me call them Jay Tolls and Jomo respectively, uh, throughout the thing. And there may be other names too. We'll see what comes up. But both of these incredible leaders are powerful organizers in their own right, who are also key leaders on the Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity team. And I'm gonna, we're, we're diving all into what Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity is, which we'll call bold throughout this interview. Um, but before we jump all up in there, I wanted to ask the two of you, how are you right now today? Jennifer, you want to start us off? Sure. How am I? Mm -hmm. I feel um, a little pulled in <laughs> multiple and unexpected directions, but also grounded just based on some competence that I have been able to develop over the years with this team and with these folks to be able to enter. <laughs> so um, I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. How about you, Jomo? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm like really geeked <laughs> to have this conversation. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just in a really good spirits today. Um, and um, yeah, really feeling wide. Uh, and maybe that's because I've been in a thousand meetings. So yes, that's right. It's amazing the width that we're expected to hold these days yeah. as just like a normal, like, yes, you know, things you could not have concurrently done in the past, it feels like are now expected daily. And um, I am doing good today. I am also super geeked to be in this conversation with you. And in general, I find inside the chaotic um, and breakneck pace of the Zoom world, I get really excited whenever I get to be on the phone with black people who are centered and know how to center. And I thought maybe um, Jennifer, if you would be open to it, would you center us like, right, like live on the call? 
Ooh. <sighs> that feels like a good next move. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, friends. Mm, take a moment, take a nice deep breath and push it all the way down to your toes. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel your heart beating. And notice, how are you in this moment? How's your mood? What is the quality of the mental chatter? And what are you noticing at the level of sensation? You feel warm or cool anywhere? What about tight and contracted? Or really easeful and loose and relaxed? <sighs> Notice anywhere you feel a lot of aliveness and movement. See if there's anywhere uh, that you don't actually feel. It's not quite there. And then welcome whatever is present. From here, go ahead and relax all the places you like to hold tension. So soften your knees, relax your behind, let your belly hang out. <laughs> Pick your shoulders up, pull them back and drop them down if that's available to you. Relax your jaw. Soften your gaze, bring it into the room, and then bring your breath, your attention, and intention to your center. Use your breath to fill that space 360 degrees around. And then relax down. See if you can sink more into the surface beneath you. And at the same time, relax up through your spine into your full length, you know, like a freshly watered plant that gets to just like perk up. <laughs> Chin level to the floor, feeling here for your own dignity and inherent worth. And then from your center line, go ahead and unfurl out to your edges in whatever way you know how, but see if you can feel for your own physical edges, right side of right arm, right thigh, right foot, left side of left arm, left thigh, left foot. If it helps, you can actually bring some physical touch to those spaces to really bring into the awareness your own edges. The with our connection, our relationship, Yes, to each other, to the bowl community, to all the listeners. Let's center in our depth. So making more space front to back for what we care about and what we long for. Also for them organs that are in there doing life-sustaining work without uh, a lot of attention. Find some sensation happening at your back. Heels in floor, sits bone in chair, back of your skull. Ooh. <laughs> Let that remind you of all the wisdom that lives at your back, that you get to draw from, 
all the people who support you. Hmm. Bring some attention in, make some more space there for them organs, heart, lungs, mm. liver, so they can do their work. Keep bringing attention forward. Finding here some sensation at your front body. Maybe wiggle your nose <laughs> or wiggle your toes. <laughs> but yeah, feel for that sensation and let it remind you of what we're moving towards. What your vision is and how you want to show up inside of that. And then just see what it is you need to draw from your back, draw from your heart to meet that next moment. Mm -hmm. Finally, centering on our commitments or what it is we care about, what matters most to us. Take a moment here and ask yourself the question. What do I care about? Let your body answer. And then let that fill you up along length, width, and depth. Head to toe, out through your fingertips. Mood check, Adrian. How's your mood? <sighs> I am feeling grateful to the point of tears. <laughs> for just, I always, I'm just like, oh God, I miss your particular centering. <laughs> um, grateful and much more present. And I'm feeling really tickled and sweet and pleasant. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling deep, deep, deep gratitude. Um, always a joy to be centered by Jennifer. Yeah. So absolutely. <laughs> yes I love your little giggle it's just the dreamiest <laughs> and it's just like so it's so great and you know for those who are listening that practice is um, one that we do whenever we're together for bold um, and you know lots and lots and lots of people around the world have studied somatics and have studied Tai Chi and have studied different mechanisms that have um, pathways into the center, pathways to centered self. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful that y'all get to, y'all got to hear Jennifer um, do that one. And um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel like so much more becomes possible in a conversation when the people who show up are there. <laughs> So, um, you know, from the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute, um, we are fans of y'all, fans of BOLD. Um, we see you as teachers of adaptation. Um, so much of the work of, of embodiment is about relating to change from a committed place. And we also see you as interdependence and decentralization teachers who show people how to be in deeper relationship with themselves and with each other. Um, and we see you as teachers of resilience, um, helping people to return to their dignity, safety and belonging after and during the ongoing trauma of black life. Um, and not just by like getting by, but re returning to vibrant lives that are committed to community. That's what bold, does in so many ways and to us that all makes you emergent strategists. So I wanted to first say, do y'all accept that premise? Do you see a little what we're seeing here? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yay. <laughs> Dreams come true. So um, tell let's, let's, let's like weave some history, weave some like what's at our backs. Um, how did you find your way from the womb to bold? <laughs> like what, what awakened you to like, I want to create change. I want to, I want to change conditions for black people. And I specifically want to do it in this way. Interesting. The director of the womb at that time was a recent bowl graduate part of Jomo's class, actually. And it was something that he saw in me to be like, oh my God, you need to go to bowl. I didn't even know what the heck it was. <laughs> but I trusted him and I trusted his investment in mm. my leadership. So I showed up. Simple. And what did it mean at that point to go to bold? You know, I certainly didn't know what I was getting into, but I feel like it was the mm -hmm. end of the first retreat when um, the George Zimmerman verdict came in. It was that Saturday night of our first uh. retreat when the... Uh, verdict came in and then Sunday morning, we're in this circle centering. And <laughs> as we're in this practice, there was a woman screaming, running around in my head with a machete. And I thought, oh shit, we better come up with a strategy before she gets out. Um, and I just felt really grateful and really invested in that moment to be in a room of people who were all like so invested in Black liberation, so invested in their own transformation that then could lead to the transformation of their communities and Black lives. That's so good. That's so good. And you had been organizing in Ohio already for how long at that point? only a year, um, mm -hmm. technically, right? Because I feel like a lot of us that come into organizing had been organizing for many, many years. Right. We just didn't call it that. Right. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> I had been community building, I guess is the way I thought about it. I had been community building before somebody told me that was organizing. Beautiful. Yeah. And what about you, Jomo? You, I, my memory is that you were doing education organizing. Um, before coming around bold, but tell me, where were you? How were you doing? Mm -hmm. So I was uh, a youth organizer uh, in Washington, D.C. I was leading a group, uh, the Youth Education Alliance, and we were actually in the process of also merging at the time with, an, with another group, um, and then um, somehow, I think the, I, the story that I hear from Denise is that, um, <laughs> right, <laughs> that I was the first picked of the boat. I just want to let that be known. <laughs> yes. No, I've heard that story too. I always laugh because I'm right, like, it can't right, be true, right, but I love narrative. Right. I, love right. I want it to be true, right? <laughs> but of course, you right. were the we first all selected. were first selected. Yes. Absolutely. I love that. You know? um, but uh, Denise had reached out to me and was Denise who Denise Perry, uh, the mm -hmm. director, executive director, national director, Supreme Harriet Tubman of Bold. Yes. <laughs> had uh, reached out to me talking about this project, uh, Bold, 
bringing in together uh, black leaders of organizations um, and, you know, trying some, some stuff new. Um, and yeah. I had no idea what I was getting into. I don't even know what she told me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but I, I was in, I was definitely intrigued uh, about the, the concept. Yeah. Uh, I had been organizing for years and have been, we, I think a lot of us have been looking for a black space yep. uh, to understand our organizing, understand how we were leading organizations. And also I think um, we're trying to figure out how to do things differently, yes. right? Um, and so I think this, there, in there, I think there was an offer of transformation um, that felt tr intriguing. Um, that got me to say yes. That's beautiful. And, you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm a member of the bold team, although I think of myself as like the little satellites, you know, floating around on this ring of Saturn while y'all are all, you know, have a, a little bit stronger gravity. Um, but that, that's also part of what I love is I'm just like, this is how I am. <laughs> I'm like, Hey, y'all <laughs> love you. Hey. <laughs> um, and y'all are always just like, Hey girl. So Bold has been a really centering and liberatory path for me um, to be with Black people who are um, who are really committed to doing things differently and and doing things effectively um, differently. So I would love to hear from y'all. What is the dream that Bold realizes or hopes to realize inside of social movements? A Bold is a commitment to rebuilding the Black social justice infrastructure in the United States. I think that's the most um, concrete way that we can uh, understand it and we articulate it. It's our commitment. And I think that's also just kind of really important. Um, I think one of the things I, I have been learning on this path of Bold is that, you know, as we, as kind of all Black organizers kind of read the history of the 60s and you hear about this monster called COINTELPRO, but you really don't understand the real damage that had been done to our movement. That's right. Uh, that still That's continues right. to have waves. So this commitment to rebuild the Black so like is a huge undertaking uh, for something that was probably dead and intended for it to die, right? And it's a, I always think about uh, Audre Lorde and the litany of survival, right? Like we just weren't, the, <laughs> every intention is for us not to be there. So, Bold has been about that. And I think it's also been about, you know, kind of yeah. building community, bringing uh, organizers together um, to transform themselves, transform their organizations yeah. and transform society. Beautiful. Jennifer, anything to add to that? So what are your roles within the team? Uh, I, well, we both are, and they're slightly different though, national organizers for Bold. Uh, and my focus, is largely on our alumni. And so finding ways to keep the alumni connected and in practice and continuing to transform um, and build depth inside of organizations so that, you know, they got folks that they can rock with um, locally and in investing in each other's uh, practice and transformation. Yeah, because it's hard to be in this when you're like the only one who knows it or the only one who's doing it, um, you need support. And so. Yeah, that's great. What about you, Gemma? Uh, I, I guess I always think about it as, as, as a recruit and retain. So Jennifer's retained, <laughs> I'm recruit. <laughs> uh, so part of uh, what I hold is a lot of the, the, the courses um, 
uh, particularly the Amandala organizing training, some of the director track. I think uh, when I first started, was doing a lot of the recruiting um, for folks into the courses, doing a, um, also then I think part of our work is also looking out into the world with other black organizers, how they are implementing this stuff and bringing harvesting those lessons uh, and bringing those back, so. Awesome. So I know that, you know, one of the things I love about Bold is, is it, it's, we're ambitious. We're ambitious, you know, like we're steady as it goes, but there's a lot of programming in motion, a lot of learning, a lot of plans, um, and the vision is massive. So I want to know, what did y'all have planned for this year, for 2020, um, you know, I was away on sabbatical, so I didn't get to come to the gathering and hear like what we were up to and all of it. Um, but I did have plans to land and I knew that we were gonna do a maroon space gathering and I knew that we were gonna do a facilitation gathering and like my parts, you know, my little three parts or whatever and everything changed, everything changed. So um, I know that we still did the facilitation training and it was a virtual, experience and all that but I want to hear from y'all what actually happened when did you know you were going to have to really pivot um <laughs> how did that pivoting process go <laughs> yeah <laughs> tell me everything oh my goodness mm -hmm. so I'll kick us off at what we thought we were doing yeah. <laughs> in 2020 uh leaving the national gathering uh we were running two Amandala uh, organizing courses, one on either coast to catch the West Coast folks as well as the East Coast folks. And what is the Amandala for, organizing training? Like who so gets that Amandala one? is for new organizers mm -hmm. to come in and get, um, you know, basics of organizing, power, um, authority and organization, base building, relationship building. Mm -hmm. yeah. All these like, core pieces to get you out here in these streets uh, building base Great. and with analysis. And then we were going to do, well, I don't remember the order, but there was like beyond the wounds. So it's like, how do we like double down on resilience in these moments? We were transforming conflict <laughs> and giving people skills to not like break apart when conflict yeah. rears its head because it's going to. Yes. But how do we like work through it generatively? We were doing maroon mastery. Yes. Which I don't know how many secrets I can tell about that because don't tell any. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just know. <laughs> yes. Someday it'll come again. I'm missing something. Joma what? We had to embongi. Let's say that one. What was embongi? What was that? <laughs> oh, that was gonna, that was gonna be our, um, well, yeah, we talk about innovation and adaptation. That was one of the things that came out of 2019. We were gonna try to do these uh, kind of political gatherings and conversations where leaders could actually kind of talk with each other and actually figure out if they can make some sets of decisions, right? Um, but uh -huh. what we were learning was like, it felt like it really important to like 
for leaders, black leaders and black organizations to actually assess, talk together, and then figure out if there's some ways that they want to take action together. Mm -hmm. Great. So that's a lot of things planned for a year. Also too, I think one of the, as I was listening to Jennifer talk about this, I think one of the crazy thing is that we actually had made a decision not to do a new class of directors and leads training, right? And that is our flagship uh, training, right? So we, so it's an interesting way that as we think about, as we're entering this conversation, I'm like, oh man, we were already facing some uncertainty, right? Like we're trying to do like three, I think we're doing three new courses. Um, I'm doing courses I had never done. Well, I like, I like, I'm like, whoa. Um, and this decision to not do a new class and to make all these offerings. So I think that like that was a really like as I like kind of reflect back, like we were set in step to really offer something innovative, something new, fresh. We had made an assessment about the political environment and the presidential elections and everything that was needed. We was ready to go. Ready to go. <laughs> and then what actually happened? What are the pivots y'all made? Right. <laughs> right. And then like Mike Tyson says, you plan and then <laughs> your plan doesn't last first contact. Nope. And it sure enough didn't. <laughs> um, and the first thing, as, as we said, as Jennifer was saying, like coming out of the national convention in February, March was we were going to be doing two simultaneous Amandala courses on the East Coast and the West Coast. 60 participants, I think, total is by like 30, 35, 25 uh, split between the two of them, um, like kind of dual training teams, all this wow. kind of stuff. Um, and then shit starts shutting yeah. down and we had to make a first set of decisions, right? Like, okay, are we actually going to try to make a run for it? Right. Like yeah. what? making an assessment, the risk, the impact. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I feel like I was still on some text thread at some point <laughs> where I was like, oh, maybe we could still do this. Maybe we could still do that. And just kind of watching the maybe slip away and the, the truth set in. Um, so, you know, did, did you just do everything but virtual or did you have to let some things go or like what happened? I want to take a minute with the process that we went through to get to this place because it was a whole trip um, of lots of phone calls like whatever threads you saw on Signal or whatnot really turned into like, no, we need to get people on the telephone and have conversations that let them know both from our like presence that it's okay, whatever, wherever they sit in this, we just wanna know authentically, where are you? How do you feel about these risks? What's the chance you wanna take? So we started with the training team, like, yo, <laughs> how do you feel about this? And initially, I think we, the training team was like split four, three of people who were like, yes, let's get in person. And three who were like, yeah, I feel kind of funny, but I'll show up if, if that's what we're going to do. Um, and so then that turned into calls to all these participants, actual phone calls, right. like old school organizers right. got on the telephone right. <laughs> to talk to people about how they felt about it right and again saying either way it goes you know this is I'm not trying to pressure you either way I just want to know where you're at um we thought about what we could do to make the spaces that we were uh going to use really as safe as the information we had at the time so we shared with people what we had in mind in terms of the precautions that we were going to take 
And most of them opted in as well. Everybody's like, I'm we coming. People are, are excited about getting to a bold training. Oh yes, we have irresistible things. <laughs> we have irresistible <laughs> things. And then it trickled into like, oh no. More things shutting down, more things. It just felt irresponsible to um, to make the travel. Uh-huh. Right? So then it's another round of phone calls to let people know where we landed. And then it was a mad scramble <laughs> to figure out what might be possible virtual. And it was like a level up really quickly for all of us in terms of taking courses. How do you lead things online? What's the best practices? How do you do this shit? How do we, who are the people we need to talk to who are doing this already that we could get some best practices um, from to determine what, if any of this is possible to move? I don't know if you want to jump in, Jomo. Yeah, you, you're taking me back because I just, I was, all, I also just want to, lift up Denise Perry's leadership and the importance of leadership. Because like Jennifer said, we was all ready to go. And she was the one who said no. And she was like, we're a commitment to our people and not harming our people. And if we potentially have somebody come and they take that back to their family, the way it is impacting our communities, because it was also just about the time that we were learning just that how it was impacting black folks, right? And the, the levels, she says, no, even though people want to do it, no, right? Um, and I think that kind of clarity um, and, and, and presence uh, is part of what the embodiment of bold is. And I, I just remember thinking, I was like, this is why they call you Harriet because you ain't never lost no lost no passenger. You're like, you're a, and so I just want to just lift that up because oftentimes as leaders, like we'll just go with well, whatever the people want, right? And there's a way that, that that serves. And then there's moments when, you know, being able to have a dignified stand. And I thought Denise had a, a, a strong dignified stand and she moved us and it ended up being the right call because two days later, participants started emailing us back like, no, I changed my mind, I changed my mind. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Well, and I think that that's so important. Like, you know, I was out of country, I was in Italy. And I remember, like, watching from afar and seeing organizations really struggling to make the make the pivot, right. And, and feeling from what I had seen in Italy that I was like, if people don't make this pivot, like people are going to really die. One of the first times in my life, having this real sense of like, oh, like the the stakes are much higher suddenly. And it's it's about the relationships we have built up until this point that are gonna allow us to either navigate these stakes well and gracefully or not. And if they hadn't, right? If Denise hadn't made that call and people hadn't trusted her and listened to her, so many leaders could have got gone through this uh, process in a way that um, I don't think we could have lived with. You know, I think COVID, COVID-19 does that. It leaves results that you're like, I can't, I don't know how to be at peace with this. I think it's going to take us a long time to figure out mm-hmm. how do we, um, how do we be at peace with what we have already done, you know, like what, what we have done, even with our best effort. So in the same way, I think it takes having a strong leader, you know, 
I think Ella Baker talked about that strong people don't need strong leaders. I think that, you know, there's something about having strong community, having a strong team. And I'd love to hear um, what practices do you feel like y'all are in as a team um, as, and what practice do you see bold in as a community that, that made these ad adaptations more possible? Yeah, we, we were doing a lot of two-stepping. Uh-huh. Can you explain the two-step? Yeah, that's a... For folks who've never done it, yeah. I know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a what they call in a keto, a tenkan move where you step and you pivot around. And, uh, and part of the practice uh, of that is noticing how our body moves through change and transition. Um, and we use that to... Uh, in the kind of our team preps to actually begin to experiment with what it felt like to try to do some of the practices that um, rely on, because if, if you've gone through a bold course, a lot of our stuff is about kind of human connection, touching folks. Um, and so without that, being able to be in presence with each other, like how do you generate a sense of connection um, yes. virtually, right? When that's the common wit and the common sense is that, that that's impossible, right? And so- yeah. Starting to do the two step together was uh, some of the practice centering, right? Can we practice centering uh, together with some of the, the practices? Um, and then there was a way again around, because um, we, then we had to figure out what is the curriculum, right? Right. And I think that was also, again, kind of like you said, to strong uh, leaders don't need strong people. We had a really strong training team. Uh -huh. um, and there was a way that then we could allow the brilliance of the training team and what they were most embodied in really yes. be part of the offer and what we felt would be the, that expertise would extend through the, the video screen and have the impact that we wanted. And so we made a lot of changes. We had to let some things go. <laughs> I think me and Jennifer had many uh, dialectical struggles <laughs> around <laughs> what was possible. I discovered I had an urgency addiction. I just want to thank Jennifer for that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that came through in the feedback. Yeah, that, that, that definitely, through. yeah. It was definitely mm -hmm. an assessment that I was like, it's true, it's useful and it's grounded. Thank you so very much. <laughs> um, and we also made some adaptations because what we were seeing uh, in Black organizers, then everyone was starting to do uh, mutual aid. Yes. Uh, and everyone was starting to now try to figure out what was digital organizing, right? Because we were like, okay, we still have to unseat this neo-fascist. Yes. <laughs> fight back against police violence. Yes. While online. And so there was this... Yeah. And so there's just this way, again, like we just had to have uh, be a commitment to exper uh, experimentation and, and just being what it That, I just want to say, just, I want to uplift that because that feels so key, especially for, you know, I think of Bold as a very, is a fairly serious group. Like we have a great time with each other, <laughs> but what the work is and what we're up to is actually pretty serious. And there's a high degree of rigor involved in it. And um, experimentation is actually a rigorous game, right? You have to be willing to 
understand that you're heading into something with an idea of what's going to happen without knowing for sure it's going to work. And you're inviting a bunch of other people to do that with you. And um, Black movement can be actually a hard audience <laughs> when it comes to, come on, let's, let's try something out. <laughs> you know, maybe it's going to work. I don't know. Maybe it feels like. So, um, you know, I think I've seen some really beautiful adaptations moving throughout Black movement space. And I've seen some resistance, some obstinance, like I've seen all the range. Um, and I wonder for both of you as organizers who are both embedded in local community and part of this national effort, what would you say Black movement needs to be practicing to increase adaptation skills and to prepare for the upcoming, upcoming changes in this country? You know, part of what we went through to get to the place that we are um, was a bunch of struggle and disagreeing and hearing each other out and being like, oh, wait, that is a valid concern. What do we need to do? How can we address that? How can we take care of that? That then allowed for something really powerful and brilliant to emerge. And so space for that, space to disagree, space to like, struggle with whatever folks are, you know, what is coming up for people, hear it, and then try to figure out, okay, what do we, how, what do we do with this? Because I, I was definitely a struggle with Denise <laughs> around a modeler and being online. I'm like, no, that is not this, we can't call. I'm like, I was losing my whole everything. Um, and she heard me. It was like, okay, I hear all of that. All right here's what we could do. Um, and so I think that is, that is something that is necessary in order to do. And, you know, I have to say, when I reached out, initially I reached out to Denise, like, hey, you want to come have this conversation? She's like, oh, Jomo and Jennifer did all of it. So they'll, they'll be the ones to talk to you. And I just, I love um, whatever that is that, that, you know, I'm like, how can Black movement also be in that practice really deeply, which is uplifting leadership when it when it shines, uplifting leadership in real time while people are alive, um, pointing to people, giving them their credit, giving them their propers, you know, like, I'm like, oh, just listening to y'all. It's, it's such a refreshing thing that rather than competing to receive credit, I feel like bold's in a practice of competing to give credit to each other. And um, that feels like another one. What about for you, Gemma? What do you think Black movement needs to be practicing related to adaptation? Everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I would say the the two are the kind of two core practices, right? Like just centering, right? How are you under yes. pressure? Can you build the presence that you're seeking, right? Um, in experimentation, right? Like that is gonna, when it gets crazy, it's like, oh yeah. And then I think the second part of that is then commitment, right? Like for the sake of what? <laughs> for the sake of what, right? And uh, at least for me, in my experience, being able to do that, there is a softening that happens um, that then allows for that just to be like, actually, this is what I really care about. This is what we all care about. How, how do we make this work for, for this thing that's bigger than all of us, bigger than our egos? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's so big. And, you know, as you said that, it reminded me, did the, y'all were doing daily centering practices mm -hmm. too, 
right? <laughs> right. We are still doing uh-huh. daily. So every day, every day, <laughs> bold people can get on and center yeah. together with a teacher. Monday through Thursday, Monday through Thursday. at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Wow, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Um, You know, one of the things I think is so powerful about the offer that y'all have made this year and continue to make is sometimes these things can get bottlenecked, right? Like we can have something that's really necessary for our people, um, but it can end up behind so many walls and obstacles and barriers. Um, And then, you know, it just gets tighter and tighter. It's like, how do we, how do I get in there? <laughs> like, I need that. And how do I get there? And I feel like this year, bold has has looked more like a blossom opening. You know, like I just have felt like there's so much, there's so many options available to people to have access to, to a Black expert in centering, a Black expert in political education, a Black expert in transformative organizing. Um, so I want to thank y'all for that. And I have a couple more questions I want to ask that are in the realm of centered healing. Cause I think that, you know, I think there's another way that people look at bold, which is like, yeah, I went in there and I cried and I healed. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, well, we're rebuilding the, the black infrastructure. It's like, yes. And healing is a, a necessary component of the building that needs to happen. Right. That there's only, um, there's only so much that a completely trauma-centered body and trauma-centered life can do, move, and hold. And there has to be a way that that healing actually gets centered into what Black life means, um, or that deepest resilience that takes us, you know, beyond trauma, before and beyond trauma. So, given the immense toll of oppression has long been so clear, um, what do we do that help? To, to navigate the resistance to healing, right? The resistance to taking the time to center into the healing work. Jeez. I feel like we're still trying to figure that out, right? Cause we, we, we see it happen. We notice when the centering call lists people showing up and we're like, oh, uh-huh. I'm always curious about are people like pulling away from their edges? They're like, look, I can't, mm-hmm. I need to just, <laughs> tunnel forward I think uh, the one thing that we do do is keep inviting people in mm-hmm. yeah it is a uh, it's all it's yeah it's always in uh, a question I think we I think we have some saying where we talk about how you gotta you gotta want to heal to heal um that that requires us to feel <laughs> that's scary um and um, and it's fair to that, right? Like this, the, the ideal of, of transforming and, and newness and not being on the other side. Like I can, I can only imagine, right? Um, and what feels so certain, even though um, it's not serving us anymore, it's still certain, right? And that takes care of something. So um, yeah, but at the end of the day, we got nothing to lose but our chains, right? I love that. You know, I think this is so crucial, right? That coming through the pandemic, I'm like, ah, every day I can choose to numb or I can choose to feel. And if I choose to numb, I'll get through the day, but I can look back and have missed a whole month, a whole set of months, a whole year, you know, um, in that numb fog state. And I, I feel um, my healing journey has made my black life feel more precious to me. 
that my black moments feel more precious to me, that when I'm not numb, um, even when I'm grieving, you know, I'm able to now feel the grief is a part of my love and my gratitude and my aliveness. Um, even when I'm angry, I can feel that that is a part of my aliveness. And I think so much of what <laughs> we're inviting people to is their own aliveness, right? It's like, you could be black and you could be numb and you could be absent. You could be floating through your life without without experiencing it. And there's a brilliance to that too. You know, I, I always look back and I'm like, I, I don't think I would be here if I didn't have my best friend dissociation <laughs> getting me through like my whole twenties, right? I'm grateful for it. Um, and I also don't think I would be here if Bold and other spaces hadn't taught me how to feel, how to handle the full range of human emotion and feeling. So something I wanna trouble the water with maybe a little is I, I think a lot of what happens with the healing needs or work is that people come to movement as a whole, movement as an abstract, um, and even movement as like certain organizations. And they, they come and they're like, I need healing. And it shows up um, in all kinds of acting out, right? But that acting out is like, I need healing. Something is, something is not working and I'm not getting what I need. And so it gets weaponized, right? That pain, that need for healing can get weaponized. Um, and I think so much of what happens in bold is that it's like actually healing is something you have to commit to and work hard at. Um, and so I wanted to ask y'all, you know, does that resonate? <laughs> does, that, does that seem like something y'all are also seeing? And as you are recruiting and um, retaining <laughs> some of the most incredible black leaders in the country right now, how do you help them navigate that, that space around like the healing that movement holds and the healing that they have to commit to working on themselves and the balance between the two? It definitely resonates. <laughs> Even I'm gonna kick it up another notch where it is almost an expectation that we deliver mm -hmm that healing not that this is like a thing <laughs> not that this is work that i have to do here and here is a guide someone to help yes. support and be with but that there is a package that i can hand to you and in it is your healing and yeah it just does not work in that way as much as that mm. would be nice <laughs> so creating spaces for folks to be in practice i feel like is one of the one of the ways that mm -hmm. we do that this year we had all these lofty plans i left that out of kicking mm -hmm. off these regional kumbes these local kumbes for people who are you know all in the same city to get together once a month and practice together and well the cootie came um and we're like oh another adaptation how do we get folks in virtual land practicing together. How do we support the people who had uh, volunteered to help lead and facilitate and coordinate these spaces? And then we turned into, well, what if we offered like a national kumbe or national yeah. practice space? And so we got to doing that once a month where we recruited one of our fellow bold training team members to uh, get on for an hour on a Monday evening with as many bold alumni who wanted to, and they would lead us through uh -huh. an hour of practice where we would get to center and be in mutual uh, 
connection with one another and then either Joe or two-step or uh, extend. I mean, whatever we can figure out how to do virtually or that the brilliance of the training team could figure out because they came through. Yeah, I think that is one of the way offering spaces to be mm -hmm. in practice and then supporting folks in practice. I think we have offered additional coaching for folks this year also as a way to get them on the path of the healing journey that they need to be on for themselves if that is the commitment that they are making to their self and their wholeness. Anything to add, Jamal? I'm like I, I guess what was I was sitting with I was thinking about a, a, a piece I had read um, by um, my beloved uh, mentor, Chokwe Lumumbu, who's now an ancestor in uh, uh, one of the political pieces. And uh -huh. uh, they, were, they were having, a, it was a, you know, they were having an ideological struggle at the time. Um, and one of the things that struck to me is that mm -hmm. he writes um, about how without a coherent program of transformation, to kind of bring any, any, and kind of bring any kind of class of folks into a movement without that program is to invite all of those challenges, like you mm -hmm. were talking about, into movement. Right, that their transformation is a is a political imperative to liberation. Right, um, and there's something that's deep yeah. in that call for movement to heal me that just makes me. I just want to really blend with it. It's like, yeah, healing is collective liberation is yes collective you're absolutely right and this work collective. you got to do too right <laughs> like you are part of the collective i is we ubuntu yes. right and so and then that just took me to just something kwame Ture writes yes. in his book ready for revolution when he talks about movements are only going to be as creative and as powerful as the organizers who organize them right so then that's our call to embodiment how beautiful how creative can i be as an organizer to make this movement more beautiful and organizing. So your call to heal is then to help heal others, right? Morrison Code, how do you know you're free? You help free somebody else. How do you know you're healed? You can help heal somebody else. This podcast is produced by Natalie Parrott. Music for the Emergent Strategy podcast is provided by Complex Movements, a Detroit-based artist collective. The music provided is from the soundtrack of their performance installation, Beware of the Dandelions. To support the ongoing work of ESII, make a donation at www.alliedmedia.org forward slash ESII.